This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit 2njb.com slash donate. The Middle East is riddled with conflict. If you watch the mainstream media in the United States, you might come to think that the main showdown is between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But the truth is, there is hardly a stable state in the entire region. We've talked a lot about Syria in past episodes, so today we're dedicating an episode to take a closer look at Yemen. Since 2015, when the Iran-backed Houthi rebels drove out sitting President Hadi, Civil war has claimed the lives of tens of thousands and driven millions, most of the country in fact, into a state of destitute poverty. Is this just another Saudi-Iran proxy war? What Western powers are playing a role and what role are they playing? Is there any end in sight? And ultimately, will the Middle East ever see stability in our lifetimes? To answer these questions which aren't small questions. We're joined by Professor Uzi Rabi, director of the Moshe Dayan Center for Middle Eastern Studies at Tel Aviv University. Professor Rabi has written a number of books in both English and Hebrew. In 2015, he published Yemen, Revolution, Civil War, and Unification. We are very happy to be joined by Professor Razi Uzi Rabi today to talk about Yemen. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Just closer to the mic, please. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, uh, Naor suggested we start with a a question. Why should we care about Yemen at all? Well, you know, Yemen, just for the record, just uh, what we have to be uh, uh, aware of, this was one time what they call Arabia Felix, which means happy Arabia. It was a center of civilization in ancient times. What happened with Yemen in modern times is that it it has become something uh, which is, um, I would say, applicable to the notion of failed states. This is exactly what we got in the post-Arab Spring Middle East. Many mm-hmm. states that were going through this protest, but in its origins were kind of a myriad or a, a mosaic of sects, languages, uh, religious types, more often than not, uh, after the protest or in the process of the protest, um, have become uh, 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 kind of a battlefield of what we call primordial identities coming to the fore, fighting against each other. And this was also an open invitation for both regional and international actors to swallow up a slice of territory or of influence on behalf, uh, I mean... It's mainly desert there. It's not mainly desert. It's <clears throat> There are deserty areas, definitely. But, uh, I mean, the north is pretty mountainous and uh, 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 here and there you could find uh, uh, a lot of fertile, uh, um, you know, land. ground or lands. Uh, I mean... Uh, um, Nearby the sea, near Aden, you have kind of an antiport or kind of an international waterway. 
And uh, of course, there are uh, uh, pros and cons, uh, so to speak, when it comes to Yemen with its strategic location. Let, let's remind ourselves that Yemen is uh, basically lies uh, uh, next to the Bab al-Mandab Strait, which is the waterway between the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, or the Arab Ocean as they call it. And basically, as I said before, this was uh, ancient civilization mm-hmm. in times immemorial. So what we got in Yemen in the recent decade is a hell. I mean, what, what, what happened is that uh, there is an all-out war and the parties uh, in Yemen, each one of them, is being supported by... Um, larger powers. Larger powers, either regional or international. So if you had to put a I mean, because I know there's a wider context here and, you know, things, the Middle East and how it was divvied up and there's there's and which which I want to get to. But if you had to put kind of on the timeline where things unhinged and when this broke out and how it happened. Well, basically, Yemen in the modern period is always kind of a reflection or a mirror to the competing ideologies in the region. Let me get get you back to the 60s, for example. There was a war in Yemen. What happened is that the then dominant power in the Middle East, Egypt, Egypt's Nasser, invaded Yemen in order to accumulate a, a larger I- I- influence in the region. And this happened to uh, result or to uh, take place in kind of a war which was waged between Saudi Arabia and Egypt, a monarchy and a revolutionary Arab state. It would be almost the same, even if, albeit in differences, Saudi Arabia and Iran nowadays. So Yemen is becoming a fold where everybody who would like to further export its, his zealousness influence, ideology, more often than not, uh, Yemen would be kind of a conduit through which actually to just deliver the merchandise. And in Yemen, we have all these orientations. We have the Salafis, which is Al-Qaeda, or even uh, uh, ISIS veterans. This is in Hadramaut, the home base of the Bin Laden family. In the north, we have the Houthis, who are Zaydis or Shiites, Yemenites who are being um, capitalized on by Iran for the ongoing uh, competition with the Sunni tribes there who are supported, which are supported by Saudi Arabia. So basically it's a proxy war, yes. But I, I am afraid that if we are going to have that as the bottom line, it would be too simplistic. Shallow. Too shallow, yeah. What we have here is much more than that. It is kind of a supermarket where you can have all these ideologies, uh, all these ideas that were here throughout the 20th century, and each of them is trying actually to compete the other and get kind of a position for itself. So again, you have the Sunni Shi'i. Nationalism. and You have nationalism and basically Muslim state. Muslim state. You have also tribes. This is very, very important. This is a tribal state. Mm-hmm. And basically in Yemen, you have more than 350 confederacies, huge confederacies. 
And so, I mean, is it is it just is it like uh, unrealistic to try and and uh, and create a nation out of out of an amalgamation of tribes? Well, I mean, I'm not sure about that because if I would look at the other states in the Gulf, in Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, they have uh, uh, a lot of money, and money actually makes the uh, life easier in that regard. But they have managed actually to develop sort of a national ethos. In Yemen, you have that. Even if the state was until 1992 states, it was North Yemen and South Yemen until 1990. While they were united, everybody thought that this is the most natural step to be taken. But unfortunately, actually, um, I would say all the animosities came to the fore, South and North tribes of that kind and that kind, that confederacy, this confederacy, Saudi Arabia sending actually its hands inside Yemen. And basically what we uh, um, ended up with is, as I said before, kind of a very, very uh, bitter civil war which goes on. And the, Even that, now? Even now. 2020, the dynamic, there's still a war in, in And the Yemen. dynamic is that negative. How many people died there in a month? Uh, I mean, you know, it depends which month, basically. In a good because, month. Because, I mean, no, you have uh, in a good month, yeah, actually, yeah, what uh, you have there is, um, I would say, let's say, I mean, close to the Arab Spring, which is uh, 10 years ago almost, uh, there was a month where uh, actually 700, 700 people all over Yemen actually died. And in 2019? In 2019, I think that what we got there is less... Uh, uh, um, I would say killed people, but many, many wounded. Mm -hmm. I think it would come to, it comes to, again, the whole year, the, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, hundreds. But hundreds dead and thousands yeah. injured. Yep. And I Which think, is nothing compared to Syria, but still. Yeah, but uh, you know, this significant. is. This is steadily. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. And it's, the problem it's building up. The why, numbers why, build up. Why aren't we seeing all out warfare and, and, and the death toll that we're seeing in Syria? Why aren't we seeing that in Yemen? Because <clears throat> in Yemen, you have kind of an organized chaos. That is an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. what, is, what organized chaos is? Since I said that you have those parties, and each party has its own pattern, what you get is that any party, I mean, there, there are no ultimate losers. No ultimate losers. You almost have your pattern who would help you out in order not to lose uh, path uh, while competing with your rival, which is the proxy of his rival. You see what I mean? I mean the, pro the, the patron's rival. There are also no victors because Iran would no. never conquer Yemen it's fully not, and take control over no, it. Which it's, is not, it's not to conquer the land. I mean, con conquering the land is something which is very, very anachronistic. Very anachronistic. Right. What we got is gone spheres of influence. And what uh, Iran is trying to do, and basically this was found in the Arabian Sea a couple of days ago by the American Navy, there were uh, parts of ballistic missiles which were sent to Yemen with the aim of uh, facilitating a, position, a post uh, of ballistic missiles being posed in Yemen by Iran, activated by Iran, uh, threatening both Saudi Arabia and Israel. So here is the thing. Iran won't let Yemen, it won't let Iraq too, or Syria or Lebanon, to become normal 
because managed chaos is the occupation of Iran. So basically, you have kind of an equilibrium, so to speak. They thrive on chaos, exactly, exactly, because uh, a failed state, a failed Arab state, as I said before, is becoming an open invitation <clears throat> for Iran, not only to come up with what they call soft penetration, economy, banking, etc., but also by using the militias, local militias, uh, to support its position. And in the end of the day, to turn Yemen into kind of a place where there are military posts which are equipped with ballistic missiles through which to threaten, actually, the your rivals, Iran's rivals in the Middle East. Because they are still a so- sovereign country. So when Yemen shoots a rocket, no, they're not considered no, no, by international law. Don't use law. that. This is a very Western language. No, but I'm saying if said. they shoot a missile... To, uh, uh, on us, right? So according to international law, Yemen attacked Yemen, us. Yemen, Yemen is going right? to be taken and as then, responsible. Yeah, but, but you know, I mean... I guess that's their thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I understand what you say, and I, I tend to agree with you, actually. This is uh, what the international law would uh, recommend. If this is a sovereign state and a ballistic missile or something was actually sent from there, well... You can hold the, uh, uh, let's say, the elite sitting in the capital city responsible for it. But it's not the case. Once of again, course. Yemen has been taken captive by both regional and international powers. Mm-hmm. And the already existing tribal feuds are being used by the patrons in order to fund the flame. Funding the flame means that I would like actually to better my position, but it always would be on the extent of Yemen. For, so the, Yemen has no, you know, uh, kind of a hope to be cured in the uh, uh, coming years because of this situation. The famous attack we saw on Saudi Arabia a few months ago, it came from Yemen? Well, some of them say that uh, it came from Yemen. Some of them say it comes from Iraq. You are talking about the oil fields, I right. guess. Right. Yeah. It was uh, basically, uh, um, I, I think it was uh, uh, from Iraq rather than Yemen. Even even if actually... It's the same Yeah, it's, concept, but it's the, same, it's the same principle. Principle, yeah. It's the same principle. It is kind of a failed Arab state being taken captive by Iran and being used as kind of a channel from which to attack your rivals in the Middle East. So basically, Yemen is part of a process. Mm -hmm. I dare say the Middle East is witnessing these days. I call it Iranization of the Arab sphere or the Arab fault. And basically, this is one of the main characteristics in the nowadays Middle East. Do you call it Iranization because you feel that Iran is gaining the upper hand? It's not gaining the upper hand. Once again, Iran... Why not call it Saudi Arabization? No, because Saudi Arabia is defending itself, definitely. So Saudi Arabia is on the defense. Iran's. Yeah, Iran is the off- in, on the offense because, um, you know, uh, Iran looks at the Middle East in the recent decade as kind of a field of opportunities. And the dwindling Arab nation and Arab states are becoming kind of a, a, a very attractive, uh, uh, let us say, uh, destination to capitalize on. And this is exactly what Iran is doing in 
Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, all of them are suffering from the same syndrome, which means in the beginning, the state is not that coherent because there are many, many tribal feuds, many, many sects, religious types. And once you are coming up with kind of a, let us say, very, very nasty tactic by which to fund the flame, you turn the whole state into kind of a failed state or failed region. And this is kind of an open invitation for Iran to come to the fore and just take a slice of influence for itself. It's not conquering the land as mm. was the case uh, before. Yeah. We do not talk about conquest. We talk about soft penetration. It is kind of a tactic by which you are swallowing up slices of the local economy, the energy, the banking systems. You also have your own militias coming from the locals because you support them. And what you have in the end of the day is a parallel army. It's an army which is a parallel to the army of the state. You have a parliament. Okay, in the parliament, you have many, many politicians who do work for you. This is the case, by the way, in Iraq. This is the case in Syria. Mm -hmm. This is the case in Lebanon. And this is kind of an Iranian modus operandi, which is very, very evident when it comes to uh, Yemen. It's almost like a costless war because you don't actually have to send your own soldiers, your own resources. Well, this I is mean, why. Resources, no, they supported with yeah. a lot of money. Uh, not, not a lot of money. I mean, I mean, relatively speaking, it's not that it's it's not that uh, expensive in the terms of uh, kind of a uh, national resources of a state like Iran but i would it's not what you would spend on all that yeah war. yeah it is definitely i would definitely agree with you it's a kind of a very cunning and shrewd diplomacy which is being implemented by Iran all over the region we can see that in Yemen we can see that in Iraq this is what i call as i said before soft penetration Mm -hmm. You will not actually uh, have a clue about how, how dominant Iran is if you are not equipped with professional lands. So basically, this is what Iran has managed to do uh, in the, the, let us say, recent two decades, and it still goes on. So can you give us an example of, like, maybe one or two more examples of how the soft penetration of, like, well, Iran's first of all, control? Well, first of all, what, what, what uh, Iran did, did, did in, in, uh, in Yemen is to support a uh, um, kind of a tribe, a confederacy, which is headed by Al-Houth family. And these people actually were uh, discriminated against, basically, I mean, socioeconomically and sociopolitically speaking. And uh, for them, this was kind of a high opportunity to lean on or to be relied heavily on Iran, get the support, and come up with a kind of a dream from times immemorial it is called imamate imamate let us have the imamate once again headed by us and we are the righteous part to be followed the second thing uh, you can you can look at what's going on in yemen in aden sorry and in some let us say uh um i would say some settlements close to the sea there you would find that iran has uh, um some companies which are being owned by Iran, I mean Iranian companies who are having slices in the uh, energy uh, market, in the uh, electricity market, in the car industry. Of course, it is not in the volume of Iraq because Iraq is much more important than Yemen for Iran because it's a neighboring state. 
But basically, you can see that, as you can see in Lebanon, this is the modus operandi, and, ba and, and it leaves Iran with many, many, how should I put it, uh, many, many pennies for a rainy day. Basically, this is what the Iran is doing in order to immune or to make itself immune uh, uh, re in regard to, uh, let us say, invasion from a Western country to Iran or an attack from Israel. They are also have some, uh, let us say, defensive uh, uh, thoughts and means in their strategy. But uh, they are capitalizing, as I said before, on a crushed uh, Middle East. And I don't see Yemen be recuperated in the coming years because, as I said before, the, the tragedy is built in, is, 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 is inherent to the Yemeni uh, case study. Um, basically, it is very comfortable for both regional and international powers who are at loggerheads among themselves on Yemen. And Yemen is, is, is uh, not only frustrated, but it is fractured to many, many fractures because uh, each one of them would really like actually to have a patron from the out because the state, the notion of the state is not that attractive to any uh, simple part. It doesn't, it doesn't or, really or exist anymore, right? I mean, it's kind of crumbled. Well, I mean, we have a, a, a deep argument about that. I mean, formally it exists, of course, as we said before. I mean, uh, you know, you have a, a representative of Yemen to the United Nations. You have ambassadors. A, uh, ambassadors. You have national anthem. You have uh, flags. You have everything. But when it comes to the uh, uh, cracks of the matters, you can definitely say that Yemen is semi-occupied. Let's put it that way, by some other parties, mainly Iran, and maybe Saudi Arabia too, and United Arab Emirates too. And, and more often than not, you can see actually how those states are at loggerheads among themselves, even Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates, on how to perform in Yemen. So uh, each one of them would uh, uh, actually support some other tribal groups. And basically tribes are getting back to what they have learned from times immemorial. What you have to do is to follow the footsteps of the interests of your tribal unit, not the nation. But, nation uh, is something that you can support if it is applicable with the interest of your own corporation, either tribal confederacy or whatever. If we look at the Middle East, right, mm. you can separate the countries to, to two groups, I think. Tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have the, the countries with have, which have historic roots like Egypt and Iran and Israel. And Yemen too. And Yemen too, I was going to ask you if, whether or not. And then you have the made-up countries, exactly. which are Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq. Sure. Right? So um, can you, is there a link between the fact that these are in fact made-up countries to the instability well, of the area, well, these, and where does that leave Yemen? Well, these countries that you just mentioned now are the byproduct, byproduct of a British-French concoction named Sykes-Picot, which comes from the First World War, of course. This is something else, because these are kind of invented countries. Yemen is not. A nation, invented yeah. nations. Yeah, Yemen is not. Yemen was there before uh, you can even think about Western and civilization. And it was called Yemen. It was called Yemen, of course, definitely. And you can look at the Jewish, uh, uh, the Yemen Jewry, actually, to get an idea of how, uh, you know, um, deep-rooted this, this thing is. 
Saudi Arabia is also a made-up country. Yep, it's a made-up. So, so give us a little bit of a background. When was Yemen found? I mean, what is the you know well, the history Yemen, of Yemen in a minute? Yemen used to be uh, actually, uh, as I said before, Happy Arabia in ancient times. It was the uh, basically products like the frankincense and the uh, coffee were actually being brought from Yemen, from Yemen, toward Yemen, through Yemen, up there north and to the south, to the sea. And basically, many, many traders uh, all over the region actually were to cross Yemen and to uh, uh, have the Yemenite flavor. Uh, you know, Yemen is also a country of, uh, uh, um, I would say, um, many, many uh, tribes were not necessarily nomads. They were uh, sedentary tribes. So not Bedouin. No, 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 no. Right. This is this is it's not Saudi Arabia in that regard. Mm -hmm. Tribes there actually had their own territory, so to speak, and this was basically more often than not a very fertile uh, ground. So when it did just, it, uh, when did these tribes come together and form the nation that we know today? Well, it was um, uh, formed mainly in the 10th century. Very ancient. Very ancient. No, but this is uh, this is getting closer to the modern period. Right. I'm talking about yeah, but 10th century, an imamate was formed in Yemen, and then a guy uh, uh, which was titled the Imam, a Shia guy, was to unite all these uh, uh, tribes under the banner of, uh, let us say, very moderate Shiism which at times it was even considered as kind of the fifth column of the Sunnah. The Sunnah have uh, four school of thought. This was taken as the fifth one. It was called Zaidiya. What Iran is doing nowadays is to take Zaidiya to the extreme in order actually to support its creed and its uh, uh, interest. And this is how actually Yemen was to be fallen into the cracks. But for a thousand years, for a millennia, Yemen was an imamate. What happened in the 20th century, as was happened in the Middle East, modern states were created. And even in Yemen uh, in 1962, what happened there is what happened in Egypt 10 years uh, before, a decade before. There is a you know, coup d'etat of army officers. And Abdullah Salal was uh, to become the president of Yemen supported by Nasus Egypt, uh, creating kind of an Arab Republic, 1962. In 1967, on the south, a Marxist-Leninist Yemen was to be formed by his rivals. So, you see, I mean, I'm talking to you. The only Marxist-Leninist Arab The only, the only. Entity. But listen, listen, That's Yemen. That's interesting. Why? There was uh, Yemen the was, Ba'athist Iraq. No, it was very, it was kind it's of not, communist, it's socialist. Not, it's not that, it's not that uh, uh, um, uh, zealous in, in, in the sense of, of Marxist-Leninist ideas. In Yemen, you got it all with the Politburo. So what I'm trying to tell you is that a tribal state for a thousand years was to be polarized in the 20th century into two, Arab Republic, secular, and a Marxist-Leninist state, uh, most uh, very unique of its Sounds kind. like an experimental and, and, and playground. And, and just think what these ideologies were to do with uh, tribal and very, very uh, traditional 
identities. Can you draw a line from the Marxist-Leninist secular one and from the other to today's uh, factions? Like Listen, which this one is, would align with which? This today? is something that you have seen in Aden. Aden was the capital of South Yemen. And basically what you saw there is um, kind of a very, very feminist, so to speak, in Marxist uh, terms, uh, uh, attitude toward women. Women are should go out of home and just uh, be joined or be on board with the job market and everything. You saw there the terminology of uh, uh you know uh, kind of uh let's say the labors and the uh, uh uh revolution of the people who are laborers and all that stuff um uh, basically that was very that was an anathema to the tradition and to the uh basic um let us say heritage of tribal systems so what i'm trying to say is that yemen has become kind of um laboratory where every attempt every experiment in the middle east was implemented and yemen was to suffer from all these ups and downs on or becoming kind of a supermarket of all these ideas because more often than not it was uh, it contradicted many many uh, traditional notions and practices and basically the result was uh, inner civil war in the first place and then when arab spring came to the fore and where everybody mainly westerners thought that hop yemen is going actually to climb from the tribal stage to a democracy or something like that well this was a very wishful thinking naive thinking uh, naive thinking what happened is that everybody capitalized on the arab spring in order to promote his own sect Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on on the expanse of the state, I mean, and and this is why states are being fallen uh, into the cracks. And what you got instead of a coherent state, you 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 get uh, um, a bunch of corporations which are fighting each other or against each other in order to get a, a, a bigger slice for themselves. So this is this goes on, you know, mm-hmm. when and and when the patrons from the region and from out of the region are coming in. This serves to intensify the cycle of war and make sure that nobody is becoming ultimate loser and nobody is becoming ultimate winner. So what's the end game for Iran, for example? For Yemen, you mean? Ah, for Iran. For, for, for Iran, Iran in Yemen. For Iran is hegemony in the Middle East, of course. If you are... Define hegemony? Yeah. Hegemony is uh, to have many, many bargaining chips all over the region. Kind so of be, to, to be the Germany of the Middle East, I wouldn't listen. Iran, Maybe to be the Nazi Germany. Iran, Iran started in kind of a defensive paradigm. They were very, very afraid of the United States invading into Iran, as was the case with its own two neighbors, Afghanistan and Iraq. So what they thought is two things actually: if we are going actually to just acquire. bargaining chips all over the region nobody would just mess up with us on the other hand let's go nuclear because the history tells that when you go nuclear nobody is is is, is dealing with you uh, look at north korea look at pakistan on the other hand look at what happened to Gaddafi, which was getting rid of its nuclear capacity so iran has a strategy in this region but again 
This was kind of a thought or a plan. It was not a grand design that was from the beginning actually well set in its notions. What happened is that the Middle East provided Iran with uh, some opportunities. Unprecedented. The Arab world, a cultural rival in the terms of the Persian culture, was dwindling, as I said before. States were crushed. And for Iran, this was a, a kind of a high time to exploit it and to create, as I said before, a bunch of bargain chips for itself. And this is something that they do actually use while dealing with Europe, while dealing with uh, Arab states, while dealing with the United States. And, uh, you know, if you come to think of that, this is, um, I think, the extra dimension of Iranian diplomacy. They can see... Uh, the future. Uh, they can see, yeah, they can see future, let us say, um, scenarios in kind of a clearer way than Arabs and other players in the Middle East. And this is something that Israel should take into account because this is a very fierce... Can the West rival. win here? No. Okay. But the West <laughs> could... It's not, it's not a matter of winning. It's, a, it's not a matter of winning. It's a matter of containing the threat it's not that you're gonna you know i mean in a certain in a certain uh, situation you maybe can topple the regime because there is a huge protest from within so if somebody is going actually to give it a hand from the out maybe that could happen but the middle east is 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 not kind of a field to be organized by the outsider if there is a lesson to be learned from the two centuries uh that we've just uh we are entering the 21st century, but if I would be asked actually to just glean kind of a lesson from the 19th century and the 20th century is, you know, don't design the future of the other. You can't do that. And don't Deal make with up yourself. countries and nations. Definitely, definitely, because countries and nations by itself, by itself, these are terms which are gleaned from a Western dictionary. There were no countries and states here before. There was what would you have done in the place? Though? I mean, because you can't just leave a vacuum, right? Or yeah. can you? So what I'm trying to say is that what you have to do is to find sort of a modus operandi with which or through which to create kind of a, a lull. I'm not talking about stability, but a lull where every party in Yemen and out of Yemen definitely knows actually what the pronouns of concept of each 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 activity so a sort of, of course, balance of power yeah balance of power equilibrium in a way it could be spheres of influence okay which uh, uh you know unfortunately you can go back to the south and to the north or maybe to some tribal confederacies areas which are supported by outsiders but 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 to 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 turn it into kind of a reality of live and let live. It's not that everybody is going to be, uh, to, to like the other, not at all. But basically it would be much more comfortable for people who are, who can be found in a fatigue and, 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 and they are deprived of almost everything. There's famine there. Yeah, yeah. People I mean, starve it's, this year to it's death. A, it's a humanitarian, kids. it's a humanitarian crisis in, and by all means and standards, real humanitarian crisis, but this is definitely the result of the intensification of the already existing war in Yemen. If it was just internal, 
I guess that those actually parties were uh, at a certain stage, uh, as, as was the case with the Yemeni history for thousands of years, uh, could have found kind of a compromise or kind of a, as I said, a lull for the, uh, uh, for the meantime. But since I'm, 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 I'm looking at Yemen and seeing the, I would say, huge involvement or deep involvement of the others, I mean, the patrons from the region and out of the region, I can tell that uh, this is kind of a very vicious circle. You know, when I told Professor Abi my grandparents were going to interview you, they said, he, he's a fascinating talker, but you always leave his lectures depressed. So, <laughs> so can you like give us well, any I mean, bright time. notes? Yeah, yeah, time will tell. Listen, I mean, my hope is the young people in the Middle East. My hope is still the 21st century. We talk to many young people, youngsters in the Middle East, day by day, from this room and other rooms. We have a laboratory of uh, Telegram, Instagram, what have you, while talking to Iran, to Yemen, to Iraq. We know that there are many, many restless young people who would like to have a better life, and they definitely know what the problem is. They won't say that Israel is the problem, as was the case in the 20th century. They have the they internet. Know. They can just see the exactly, truth. Exactly, exactly. So there is an accountability, even if the dictator doesn't like that. But basically everybody, or visibility, everybody knows where the problem is. It's the corruption. It's the inefficiency. It's the, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, let us say again, the very ugly involvement by um, party interest or by uh, other parties in the region and out of the region. And, and this is why, you know, even in Yemen, but mainly in Iraq and Lebanon nowadays, protesters are crying. In every corner of the capital city, let's get rid of Iran. Iran is our problem. Because if, even if we would like to start thinking of something which is much more reasonable for our life and for our nation, it wouldn't be there if, as long as Iran is here. And Iranians are calling... We don't want to be in no. Yemen. We don't well, want to be Farsi, in Syria. Yeah, no, uh, uh, ne Lebanon, ne Gaza, ne Palestine. In Farsi, what I just said is don't give us that stories of Palestine, of Gaza. We, 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 we have not, no interest in it. We would like you to take care of us. So basically change your set of priorities. Otherwise, we are not going to get home. I mean, we are staying in the streets. This is my hope because, I mean, these people are equipped with what I would call uh, kind of, uh, you know, media wisdom. They are pretty uh, aware of the different cultures in the world. They can have an idea of how a, relatively speaking, organized state and society should be looked like. And, and basically, I think that, uh, um, you know, With the passage of time, they are going to become much more sophisticated, much more organized. Organized which is very important because they basically were in the Arab uh, uh, street. They were the um, architects of the protests. But in the end of the day, they were left with nothing because even their revolution was hijacked by, you know, Islamic parties and others. Now they know if they start something... They should come up in advance with kind of a very organized system. Mm -hmm. And of course, it takes time. You know, 
tell your uh, 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 family members who uh, actually that even in France, it took 100 years after the French Revolution to establish a full-fledged democracy. 100 years. And if you ask me actually what happened after the French Revolution, I would tell you. There was a Jacobin terrorism. Mm-hmm. fierce and bitter slicing off the heads of everybody yeah yeah so so you know i mean patience we, we should not pass a judgment on the middle east uh, regarding that because it t- it took time even in, in the west but all all the more reason in the middle east because people here were not educated in accordance with the principles of the enlightenment movement in europe and the french revolution so let them actually just step by step Acquire but the, the knowledge the, of I mean, I don't, we don't have, yeah, we don't have much time, but I wonder if the issue is that these values aren't inherent in the culture. Yes. You understand, like the... First the, of all, culture matters. So what we can't You can't say do, that in, in U.S. campuses. No, but, the, the values no, no, are but, very but, careful. but listen, this is, that's a problem of the U.S. campuses, by the way, <laughs> what you just said. Because if you think that you can use universal standards to be applied or implemented everywhere, that is a mistake. Now, look at what's going in Iraq. What the Americans did in 2003 without understanding what they did, mm-hmm. they toppled a Sunni leader, dictator though, but a Sunni leader, and they brought in the Shiites. For many, many Arabs and Sunnis, that was the, um, the end of the world. This is why actually Iraq is restless nowadays. Now, I'm not saying that you should know everything, but please, if you would like to deal with the Middle East, let me ask you something. You're going to deal with Iran. That's great. Do you know Farsi? Are you familiar with Iranian history? If not, take one step back because you wouldn't let anybody else to be an expert on the United States of America without having a clue about American history, Jefferson, Hamilton, whatever, and English. So think of and that. And the Constitution. Or, and, and everything, yeah. And think of, of France, for example. Why won't you say the same when somebody is being recognized as an expert on Iran? Or an expert on the Kurds, on the Turks? So back to Aitan's question. No, but my, what I'm wondering is you're talking about kind of a stability in the middle east let's give it a century I you're hope, talking you're I talking hope. about like the how in france it took a century to reach a stable democracy but i'm saying the values which produce a democracy i wonder if those don't even so exist in, that is, in islamic would be a democracy it would be a democracy of a different kind because it has to be it has to be sort of a compromise of both cultural assets and values. So I cannot absorb a Western-style democracy because here and there it would, uh, it would, it would contradict some of my, let us say, uh, cultural values. But I would do kind of a correlation. I would do actually the uh, compromise between my values and the democracy values as to create kind of a Middle Eastern democracy, which is different than Western democracy. Mm -hmm. You see, democracy is not a universal notion, once again. And maybe, you know, I mean, you know, people... people It's the opposite of the East. You can can have Badukratia or Sheikhokratia. I don't know. 
let them have their own uh, system. But what you have to be sure is that their own system is uh, kind of... Um, Stable? No, it is something that would produce by them. It would be inherent. It mm-hmm. would not be something that was brought from the out, which raises resentment on the first place. So, you know, in the Middle East, you have two, two things which are very, very important. Time and patience. So you Which no one has. <laughs> no, but you can't come up with kind of an instant, you know, yeah. solution to things. It would take time. And let's hope Try that and Yemen tell the millennials that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Professor Rabi, thank you very much. Thank Before you so we much. go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also, also israelnationalnews.com. Arut Sheva, we have a collaboration with them as well, so check them out, israelnationalnews.com. And we accept donations, so please help us out at twinjb.com slash donate. What can we plug? Your books uh, in English, they're on Amazon. As you can see, tribes and states in a changing Middle East. This is one of them because it would tell you a lot about the problematic of, let's say, culture and values coming from the out or bringing out from the out, bringing in from the out. And of course, my, my uh, uh, last book, which deals with the post-Arab Spring Middle East. Its name? Is, uh, the post-Arab Spring Middle East, uh, uh, states and nations in the post-Arab Spring Middle East. Okay, I'll link it. It's on yeah. Amazon and bookstores yeah, and Lexington, everywhere? Lexington uh, okay. Publication House. Yep. Cool. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye guys.